can't be looking girly up here. But we're in the book of John. I would encourage you to open your... Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. <laughs> My hero. See, when I don't have kids with me anymore, I can't send them to the office. But hey, we're going to be in John chapter 14 one more time. And... Um, Who likes going through troubled times? You like going through trials and storms of life? They're just hard, aren't they? You know, here in the section that we're in, Jesus, he is with his disciples in the final, I would probably say final couple hours with his disciples uh, before he is arrested and um, taken away. And in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, he's going to be spending time where he's teaching them some stuff. He's going to be praying with them. But he also is using this time to encourage them. And in these verses that we're looking at from last week and today, we're looking at what Jesus has to say to these guys in troubling times. Because in the present time, when he's with them, you know, in, in, the, in the, the Last Supper time, it's not the troubling time. It's about what's going to take place. Because even though they haven't gotten it really, I'm going to flush that out even more. They, they aren't truly believing this whole thing yet. But Jesus knows exactly what's going to be taking place in their life. He knows in a matter of hours, your world's going to be turned upside down. You guys are going to be facing something that you haven't faced yet. You're going to be going through some stuff. And I believe these few verses he's showing them. Because in verse 25, he's like, I am saying these things to you while I am still with you. Because when I'm gone, you're on your own. And he's saying some things to them that I see for troubling times. And that's what we've looked at last week. We, we're going to finish it today. But I want to recap just the first two points from last week. And if you recall from last week, here's a couple of things that we said last week that Jesus says when facing troubling times. And the first thing is this, that the Holy Spirit reminds us of what God's word has to say. That when you are in troubling times, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance things that has been said. And that's what he says here to these disciples. So starting there in verse 25, he says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. He's going to be with him just for a few more hours, and then he's, he's, going to, he's going to die. He's going to resurrect. He's going to be with them again, but he's going to be gone. He's going to go back to heaven. But in verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said. That's the key right there, is when Jesus is gone, he's not just going to leave them. And he even said earlier, he's, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to quit on you. I'm not leaving you. In fact, I may be gone, but I'm going to send someone else. And that someone else is the Holy Spirit, the helper. And as I said last week and even the week before, that word helper comes from the Greek word paraclete. And it means more than just one thing because it's such a vast word that it can't just, the English, our English language can't get to the, the core of it. And that's why you have different versions that says help for comforter, advocate, counselor. The Holy Spirit is more than just one thing. He is so many things to what you need him to be for you in your life. And so he's telling these guys, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. And here's the thing, guys. He's going to remind you of what I've said. Because when these guys are without Jesus, they're going to need some help. And what the Holy Spirit's going to do is he's going to remind them of the very words that Jesus spoke to them. 
They need to hear that. Because when they are facing these troubling times, when they're going to be in the middle of the fire, they're going to need to hear the voice of Jesus again. And the Holy Spirit's going to be that voice. And so when they, when they start the church and the persecution comes and they're going to be scattered, they're going to have to hear Jesus say some things and that'll be the Holy Spirit speaking to them. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit becomes, as I said, so many things. He becomes a reminder. He's going to remind them of what Jesus says to strengthen them and encourage them and to build their faith. But the thing about it is, is the Holy Spirit's going to remind them. But here's the thing the disciples will do. They will write it down. And that becomes scripture. And then that's going to be passed down to the church. And it's the church now, you and I, the Holy Spirit does the exact same thing for you and I, for every believer. Because you got to remember, as Jesus told the disciples earlier in chapter 14, he says, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he will dwell in you. And that's the key. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you know, right now the Holy Spirit is in this place. The Holy Spirit is, is, is in the world and he's around everybody. He is with everybody, but he's not in everybody. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ and you ask him by faith to come into your life, the Holy Spirit is no longer just around you, but in you, dwelling and taking up residence in you. And that becomes that, that, that still small voice in you that reminds you of what Jesus spoke to the disciples and they wrote down, becoming the word of God. So you and I, so when we ingest the word of God, guess what the Holy Spirit does? He reminds you of what the word says. So when you're in the storm, when you're in those trials, when you're in that tribulation, when you're in that troubling time and you feel like your faith is faltering, your faith is weak, you don't know what to do, you don't have answers, you see the pain, you see the problem, you don't, things aren't changing, I don't know what to do. That's when the Holy Spirit prompts your heart, reminds you of the character of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the power of God, the strength of God. He reminds you of what the word of God says. And so when you know the word and you read the word and the Holy Spirit reminds you of the word, guess what it does to your faith? It builds it, it strengthens it. It helps you look at the storm and continue to move through it even though nothing is changing, even though you don't have an answer. By faith, you are now strengthening through, through the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you by faith continue to walk through the storm. So the first thing in troubling times is the Holy Spirit reminds you of what God's word says. Here's the second thing we talked about last week is Jesus reminds us and says to us in troubling times that the peace of Christ calms our troubled hearts. The peace of, the peace of Christ will calm your troubled heart. Look at verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, but as it gives to you, let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid. Jesus is contrasting where peace can come from. He goes, you can get peace from me, the peace I will give you, or you can try to get peace from the world, from the culture, from other people, whatever it is. The reality is this. The world says peace comes. I'll have peace with the absence of trouble. If there's no trouble in my life, I'll have peace. The world says that Peace comes when my situation and my circumstances are all lining up and, and, and fair weather's coming. 
When, when my circumstances are good and life is good, that's when I have peace. But what happens when trouble comes? What happens when my circumstances change and my situation changes? What happens when the trial comes? What happens when the storm is raging in my life? If I'm trying to get my peace from the world, I don't have peace. I have what we've sang about. I have what as Paul or as David writes in Psalm 42. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why is there so much, so much turmoil in you? That's what the world offers. The peace that I, do, I it can't calm the turmoil within. The peace of Christ, though, does. Because Jesus says, the peace I give you, Notice he says, I give it to you. It's a gift. As a believer in Jesus Christ, it is a gift of God to give you this peace. And the peace that Christ gives isn't you and I denying our circumstances. It's not denying the pain. It's not denying the problem and, 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 and the troubling times. It's not pretending I'm okay when I'm not. The peace of Christ is, as Paul says in Philippians 4, it is a peace that transcends my understanding. It is a peace that guards my heart and my mind. It's an inner peace. It's, it's when the storm is raging all around me on the outside, it is not raging within me. The peace of Christ is able to, it guards my heart and my mind. When I don't see things change, when the report from the doctor is not good, when the death of a loved one is sudden, when the divorce happens, when life turns upside down and my world is in chaos, there is not chaos within. But how does that happen, Jim? Because the peace of Christ, it guards my heart and my mind. And that peace of Christ, as we sang last week, I'm able to say, it is well. It is well. Even though it may not be well. See, that's the peace of Christ, and that's the peace of Christ that we can have through the Holy Spirit. Here's the third thing. Now let's continue in to this week's message and the rest of the text. Here's the third thing that Jesus says about troubling times, and it's this. The return of Christ is going to happen. The return of Christ is going to happen, and this is an element that we need to keep reminding ourselves to give us that peace in the troubling times. Because if you look now at verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, You have heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you have loved me, you would rejoice because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And let me pause right there for a moment, then we'll get into verse 29. You notice he says, You have heard me say. So it's not like Jesus is like, Oh, guys, this is the first time I've heard this. This is the first time I've said this. This is the first time you're hearing me say this. No, he's like, you have heard me say to you. Meaning I've repeated this a, couple, a few different times. It's not, so this message that Jesus is saying here, he has told them before. Guys, um, I'm leaving. But I'm coming back. Guys, I'm leaving. But I'm coming back. Guys, I'm leaving. But I'm coming back. But they didn't believe him. Because if you notice, he says, if you have loved me, you would be rejoicing that I'm going to the Father. Because the Father is greater than me. Now, when Jesus says that the Father is greater than me, 
When Jesus was in heaven with the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three are perfectly equal. But when Jesus, the Son of God, stepped out of eternity, stepped out of timelessness, stepped out of his, his he, he, he put off his Godhead and put on humanity, in his humanity, he was lesser than God. But also, he's trying to get, to, to get these guys to understand the plan of God is greater than you can understand. So Jesus says, if you have loved me, you would be rejoicing right now. And, it, and that sounds harsh. It kind of sounds like a spanking right there. But here's the reality. These guys love Jesus to a degree, but the depth of their love wasn't enough for them to trust him when he says, I'm going to go, but I'm coming back. They didn't believe it. They truly did not believe it because when he died and they put him in that tomb, one day goes by, two days go by, three days go by. These guys have given up. Because they were, if you, a few things that we got to remember is they had already locked themselves in a room. They were fearful of, the, of everybody else. They, they weren't doing anything. At the end of uh, uh, John, and when we get there, Peter had gone back to fishing. It wasn't until Jesus showed up that they were like, oh. What you said was right. And what Jesus was saying to these guys, guys, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. Same truth for you and I. You you and I need to constantly remember and remind ourselves, um, this life is not it. We are but aliens here. You and I are but passing through here. You and I, this life is nothing but a wave crashing into the ocean, a mist in the air. It is here and then gone. And the word of God it tells us over and over and over, this life is not it. And these troubles that we face are light and momentary, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And they pale in comparison to the eternal weight and glory you and I are going to experience. You see, the Bible makes it very clear, gang, that um, this life is transition and you and I are going to meet Jesus. One of two ways, death or rapture. If you die, rejoice. Why do you think Paul says at at a funeral of a believer, you and I do not grieve as those who have no hope? Because Paul says, if I die as a believer in Christ, to, to live in Christ and to die in Christ is to gain. And to be away from the body is to be what, you know? To be present with the Lord. It's boom, boom, okay? I'm away from the Lord now. I die. I'm with the Lord. That's a good thing. But if I am here and he comes back, remember the... The return of Christ, the Bible re- is clear about this. Jesus is coming back. The first time he came back for the disciples, he died, rose from the dead, came back for a few days, ascended. But the reality is he is coming back. His return is going to be a two-phase return, the rapture and then a complete return. The rapture is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Jesus will partially come down. And he says with the the, the voice of an archangel and the trumpet blast, he's going to say, come up here. 
and his church, dead and alive, is going to be resurrected. And we will be caught up in the air with Christ and go back to heaven with him. At that point, the tribulation period that Revelation lays out is going to start on this earth. Seven years of God pouring out his wrath on this earth. At the end of that tribulation period, it says in the book of Revelation that Jesus and us are coming back with him to this earth. Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years and Jesus is going to restore this earth. I don't know what that will look like. But there's no devil, there's no Satan, there's no sin. It's almost like heaven on earth. He will restore this earth and he will rule and reign and we will be with him for a thousand years on this earth. And then at the end of that thousand years is when it says that the final judgment will take place and God is going to destroy all of this. The present heaven, like the universe, this earth gone, burned up, done. And then Revelation, just let me read this to you. Familiar verse, I'm sure we all know this, but... How many of you know it's always good to hear stuff like this again and again and again because um, this is not our world. This is not our, 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 our place. And here's what it says in Revelation chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, the first universe, and the first earth, the one we are presently on, have passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from, I, I love that. Everything in heaven is loud. Nobody's whispering in heaven, okay? Even as Marlene did a great job with, with Revelation 5, with a loud voice, they I love that. It's like megaphone cranked up to 11. I heard a loud voice from the throne of saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. Loved one, that's what you're looking at. Right now, you and I, we, 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 we are bombarded with trials and pain. and tr Life is hard. But this life is not it. It is, it is moving on. It is finished and it's going to go away. You may have the next day to live. You may have the next 10 years to live. You may have the next 50 years to live. You don't know how long you have on this earth. But the reality is, whether through death or rapture, you are going to be with Christ. And you will dwell with him forever and ever. And the pain that we feel here is temporary because there's going to come a day when all of this stuff is gone. And we will dwell with Christ forever. You see, Jesus is telling these guys, I'm going. And boy, guys, if you would have just, if you would really trust me on this, you'd be rejoicing that I'm going to the Father because he's going to make things so different. But look at verse 29. He connects 29 with verse 28 in this. So again, he says, you've heard me say, I'm going away, but I will come back to you. Now, verse 29, he says, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, 
you may believe. You notice he's, he's, he's calling them out. Okay, Jesus, we all, we all can say things with our words. How many of you know Jesus doesn't really buy our words so much as to what? The heart. He knows what's in our hearts. And he knows that these guys are filled with real unbelief. But he says, he goes, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before it takes place. So when you see it, you'll be like, oh, he was spot on. He's speaking prophetically to these disciples. He's speaking about something that isn't happening yet, but will happen. And when it does happen, these guys are going to be like, oh, wow. Jesus said it was going to happen, and it did. And their faith, it will explode. You see, Jesus speaks prophetically to these men, but here's the reality. The Bible speaks prophetically over and over and over again about his first coming and second coming. The Old Testament is all about his his first coming. There are over 300 verses prophetically speaking about the first coming of Christ, and Jesus fulfilled them all. The Old Testament and New Testament, both Testaments, speak prophetically about his second coming. Now, here's the thing. The Bible talks about prophetically about the second coming of Christ. But here's the thing. It's not so much just saying that Jesus is coming back. The Bible prophetically says that there will be signs, indications that you'll be able to see and go, wow, the Bible was spot on. There are things written in the Bible. You've got to remember, even the New Testament was 2,000 years ago. There are things written in the Old Testament, even 1,000 years before the New Testament. The book of Daniel prophesies that in the last days, because the Bible signifies both Old and New Testament, that the second coming of Christ, it, it refers to it as the end times, the latter days, the end of days, things like that. So the Bible talks about that when we get to the end times, the end of days, meaning the end of this world as we know it, Jesus coming back, there will be indicators. There will be things that you and I can see and look at the Bible and go, holy cow, the Bible was right. Thousands of years ago, these men, through the Holy Spirit, showed them things. And the book of Daniel talks about that in the end times, in the last days, People will go to and fro and knowledge will increase. The idea is that people are going to be going so fast to increase the knowledge of things. And I've talked about technology and the knowledge of of how we, over the past 150 years, how things have just exponentially went off the chart. Jesus talks about Matthew 24 about certain signs that will be taking place. He calls these things birth pains. That when you're experiencing, he's like, when the world are experiencing these birth pains, And these signs are culminating to a degree like birth is about to happen. Understand something is about to take place. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He's like, hey, here's a list of things that's going to be happening in the world. That if you start reading this list, he goes, this is what the world will look like when the end times are near. And if you read that list in 2 Timothy chapter 4 or chapter 3, you will be like, wow. He is spot on, written 2,000 years ago. The book of Revelation, as I said earlier, is a book that lays out of what will take place during the tribulation. 
And there are prophetic things in there about what will happen in the tribulation. A hundred years ago, in the 1900, early 1900s, pastors would have taught this stuff. Christians would have read the book of Revelation, and they would have read things and went, How's this going to happen? There's no problem. For example, in Revelation chapter, let me get, just get my reference right. Reve, Revelation 11 describes that from heaven, two witnesses are going to come. We don't know who these witnesses are, but they are going to, for a year and a half, preach the word nonstop. And it is to bring guilt and, and convict the world of their sin. And after a year and a half, the Antichrist is going to have these two witnesses put to death. Now, here's the prophetic part of it. It says that people, tribes, tongues, and nations will gaze upon their dead bodies for three and a half days. A hundred years ago, you read that and you're like, how in the world will nations gaze upon their bodies? Today, not even a question. Oh, man, you can turn it off. <laughs> but with this, we have instant video of anything. TikTok, YouTube, whatever it is, you can live stream anything that quick. And it doesn't matter where, anywhere around the world. So reading Revelation 11 about two witnesses being killed and people's tribes and tongues and nations are watching it. Today, we sit and go, technology has made that possible. Daniel wrote thousands of years ago, men will go to and fro and knowledge will increase. The knowledge of this kind of stuff, the technology has increased to a degree where these two witnesses will be put to death and people around the world will watch it. Here's a couple more things that I believe are happening in our world today. Signs, indicators, birth pains. The big, the big thing in our world today is called um, climate change. Now, I'm not here to say, you know, whatever you believe that you want to believe. I believe climate change, global warming, is a real thing. And I'm not a greenist or anything like that. And here's why I believe it. Because it's prophetic. This week, did anybody re hear the news about the world and its temperature? Hottest. This week... Global temperatures, the hottest ever recorded in history. I was listening to a, 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 the news yesterday, and they were interviewing a woman in Arizona. And Arizona's like, like averaging 118 degrees right now. And this woman said, she goes, it feels like fire. Now, this is an actual person saying this feels like fire right now. In Revelation chapter 16, it's talking about um, the final judgments. There's going to be 
there's going to be three sections of judgments, 21 different judgments poured out on this earth from God. In Revelation chapter 16, written 2,000 years ago, seen by John in heaven, this is going to take place during the tribulation. It says, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat. Now, I don't think people are going to be like instantly combustible, but it's going to be as if the sun is so hot, it will feel like fire on this earth. This world, this globe, this Every nation has just experienced the hottest temperatures ever in history. And people have said, it feels like fire. Quinkadink or prophetic? I say prophetic. I say birth pain. I say Jesus is coming back. Here's the second thing that's in line with the, the, the temperature. And the heat and everything. Um, last year, did any have it? Last year was did any of you see how how shallow the the Mississippi River was? We went out boating with some friends last year, and um, there were parts of the river, the Mississippi River, that we could not go in because his boat would ground. And he's like, he's like, it's never been this shallow ever. They showed pictures of like down in Memphis where like old boats were coming out because the water had receded so much. Breck and I, when I went and picked her up last September from San Diego, we drove down to um, um, the dam, um, Hoover Dam. And Lake Mead is there. And you can see where the water line used to be. And it is like so far down. And if you remember like newscasts of like people like mob hits of in the 50s, Find people being found in Lake Mead because the water had receded so much they couldn't believe how low that was. Now, here's the problem. That's just not in the United States. That's everywhere around the world that is happening. And there is one particular river that's having issues right now. Want to take a guess? The Euphrates. Now, why is that significant? The Tigris and Euphrates rivers are the two main rivers mentioned in the book of Genesis. But in Revelation, again, prophetically, spoken by John 2,000 years ago, in Revelation chapter 16, it says that the Euphrates River will dry up so the armies of the east, meaning east of Jerusalem, can march across it. In fact, the book of Revelation says that there will be an army from the east of 200 million people that will march across it. Think of geography now. What one country east of Jerusalem, so you got to look at the world in your head, what one country east of Israel has enough people where 200 million soldiers could walk across the Euphrates? China. What country is wanting to have global domination right now? China. Coinkadink? Or prophetic? Loved ones, prophetic. Because Jesus is coming back. He left, 
And he's coming back. And the Bible makes it very clear that there will be signs, there will be birth pains, that when you see these things, you can go back and go, holy cow, the Bible knew this. If you want to believe that the Bible is true, just read the news. The Bible has prophetically announced the first coming of Jesus, and it has prophetically announced the second coming of Jesus. He came once, and he's coming twice. And I'm telling you, loved ones, the things that we are seeing in our world are like dominoes falling. And prophetically, I just believe sign after sign, birth pains are happening. The birth that is about to happen is that Jesus is about to step out of eternity. And he's going to call up his church. That should encourage your faith. That should be like when you start to see things. Yeah, we're going to have to continue to see the tribulation stuff, you know, the hard times. But you should cause you to go, man, God, you've got this thing. And that's what Jesus is telling these guys. If you would have believed me, really trusted me, loved me, you would rejoice in this thing because God has a greater plan. That's where you and I got to be sitting. Life is hard. And we go through the trials, we go through the pain, but we need to be able to say, but God, you're greater. And I trust you because Jesus, you're coming back. This world's not my own. I'm just passing through. And Lord Jesus, whether it's through death or rapture, I'm going to be with you forever and ever. So you know what? Help me endure and go one day at a time through the pain, through the trial, through the storm, and help me to trust you. Here's the fourth thing Jesus says about troubling times, and it's this. The enemy has no hold on you. The enemy has no hold on you. Look at verse 30. He says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world, and he's talking about Satan, is coming. He has no claim on me. The ruler of this world is coming. Now, you got to remember... Here in John, when Jesus was with the disciples eating the supper, it says that when he gave Judas the bread, Satan entered him. Judas left the building to go and betray Jesus. When Judas comes, it's almost like when Jesus rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't saying that to to Peter, per se, but to the person behind him. So when Judas shows up to betray Jesus, he adds Judas but guess who else is showing up? The ruler of the world. Because Satan entered Judas. So Judas along is just going to be the carrier of Satan. And Jesus is like, he's coming. But he has no claim on me. He has no hold on me. He has no authority. He can't do jack to me. Because here in a few hours, he thinks he's going to win. But I'm going to die on that cross. And I'm going to resurrect, and I'm going to put, just as was prophetically spoken in Genesis, I'm putting my foot on his head and crushing the head of the snake. So here's the, here's the outflow of that. If Satan has no hold on Jesus, as a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? He has no hold on you. Because you are in Christ. And what you have, what, what, what Jesus has belongs to you. So if Satan has no dominion and no hold and no claim on him, he has no dominion, no hold, no authority, no claim on you. But we can allow him to. Here's what I mean. 
Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, he says, do not give the devil a foothold or an opportunity. Don't give him that. So if, I, if, if Paul is t- telling us in Ephesians, don't give him that, that means that I can give him that. See, here's what the devil, you know, we, we talked about how um, the, the Lion of Judah is roaring with power. Guess what the enemy is doing? Roaring with power. Because Paul or Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 that the enemy roars like a lion seeking someone to devour. And the way he devours you and I is he wants everything. He will do everything he can to paralyze you spiritually. He doesn't want you to grow like Christ. He doesn't want you to be like Christ. He doesn't want you to give glory to Christ. He doesn't want you to walk like Christ. He doesn't want you to live for Christ. He doesn't want anything of your life to be like Christ. So he's going to do everything he can to make you look less and act like less of Christ. He doesn't want you worshiping Christ, so he's going to do everything to distract and to get you away from that. So he's going to lie, he'll deceive, he will accuse, he will oppress you, he will tempt you. He's going to do everything he can. And what we can do is we can give him a foothold. Think about the lies that he tells us. He tells us how worthless we are. He tells us how incredibly horrible we are as a believer. He tells us that, you know what, your best is past. Why don't you just quit? You don't need to do anymore. He tells us all kinds of lies. So that way, and here's how he keeps the foothold in us. We believe the lie. Remember, last week I said the Holy Spirit. I said when, when we have, there are three voices we can listen to. Satan, the world, or the Holy Spirit. So when Satan is lying to me, deceiving me, accusing me, he's just, just, doing, just filling my mind with every kind of lie possible, the Holy Spirit is also speaking to me. The Holy Spirit speaks to you the word of God. And now here's the decision. Here's where you and I can either allow or not allow, give or not give the enemy a foothold. What am I going to listen to and believe? The lie or the truth? If I believe the lie, that means, yep, I'm worthless. I'm no good. God doesn't love me. God's not coming through. We don't believe the the character of God. We don't believe that, well, I'm in this. If God loved me, I, I, I wouldn't be here. We believe that. That's what we're listening to. The truth is going out the window. So what I have to do is if I don't give the devil a foothold, I've got to take the truth. When I hear the Holy Spirit remind me, hey, do you know that God's still working good in your life? Even though when there's pain, he still loves you. Hey, do you know that God is faithful and never will abandon you, never will leave you? Hey, do you know that God wants to meet all of your need according to his glorious riches in Christ? Hey, do you know that God wants to take care of you even in death that you will still be with him? Can you believe the the truth? You see, that is what you and I, that's, that's the, 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 the thing the Holy Spirit does. He's going to keep reminding you, here's who you are in Christ. Here's what you have in Christ. Here's what Jesus is to you. Here's who God is. Here's his character. But you and I have got to believe it. The more I sit and soak and sulk in the, 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 the lie, he reminds me of who I used to be, what I was like. And we can't get past that. And that's where we sit. 
And the Holy Spirit is trying to remind you, no, you're not that anymore. Yeah, you used to be that way. Yeah, you were messed up like a major soup sandwich. But that's not you anymore. God's in you. You've got the spirit of the living God in you. He's changed you. You're born again. You're saved through, through faith in Christ. Why are you allowing the enemy to convince you this is who you are when that's not you anymore? There's so, I'm telling you, and that's just a fraction of the door. There's so many things the enemy hits, so many angles that he comes at us. You and I have got to be aware of that and just know it when you're thinking, when you're going sideways in your thinking, you've got to realize that's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the enemy trying to get me off track. When you're feeling oppressed, when you're feeling... Now, now, granted, like I said last week, we all, it's not denying, hey, you know what? When you get the call from the doctor and it's cancer and he's like, it doesn't look good. It doesn't mean that you don't feel that. It doesn't mean that that's not going to weigh on you. But when the enemy's sitting there going, see, God doesn't love you anymore. He's abandoned you. If he loved you, boy, you wouldn't have that cancer. But if I sit and believe that, the enemy is winning. Otherwise, I need to go, you know what, just like David, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? Why are you in so much turmoil? Put your hope in God. He's your salvation. He's your rock. Trust in him. The enemy wants to keep a hold on you. He wants to believe he's got claim on you. Guess what? He does not. He does not have any claim on you. He has no hold on you. He has no authority over you. He has no dominion over you. All he can do is lie and deceive, oppress. All he can do is all these outward stuff to you. But as long as you and I keep listening to Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to remind us of what God's word says, doesn't mean that the, the enemy won't have his day. Sometimes even a lot of days with this. But if we can continue to believe and trust in the word, let the Holy Spirit renew us and change us and work in us, the enemy gets less and less powerful. Because we've got to remember, he has no claim on us. And then lastly, here's the last thing Jesus says in troubling times, and it's this. The faith you have in God can be seen by others. Let the faith you have in God be seen by others. And then in verse 30, Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. There is a connection here. Jesus says the people are going to know I love the Father because of what I do. And he's talking about what, I'm about what is about to take place. I'm doing it because I'm obeying the Father. And he obeys the Father because he loves the Father. And you know that he loves the Father because he trusts the Father. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other way to accomplish this, let it be done. But when it was all said and done, Jesus prayed the final words, your will be done and not mine. Because I believe, even though we don't see it recorded, I believe in that conversation that Jesus and God were talking and God said, there's no other way. It's got to be this. You've got to go to the cross. You've got to suffer. And you've got to die for the sin of humanity. There's no other way. And Jesus settled it in his heart. And he said, Father, I trust you. 
I trust that your plan is the greatest plan. And because I trust you, I love you and I will obey you and I will do this. And he goes, and Jesus is telling the disciples, people are going to see that. You and I, just like the disciples, they said they loved Jesus, but they didn't trust Jesus. So you and I have got to ask ourselves, can we, is, is, if we don't trust God, do we truly love God? Because think about a husband and wife relationship. One of the things about a husband and wife is if I say, I love you, what do we do? We trust you. If I truly love my wife, I trust her. If my wife truly loves me, she trusts me. So when she says, hey, I'm going to go to the store, I'm like, what, what are you going to the store for? Who, who, you going to see somebody? What, what's, that's not love. We have a sort of love, but not a deep trusting love. Jesus is saying that, listen, if you love God the Father, you're going to trust him. And so what that means is when I'm in that storm, when I'm in that pain, when I'm in... I mean, the world is just falling apart because I love the Father. I trust the Father. Guess what people are going to see? They're going to see that. So when I'm at work, you know what? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going half nuts and half crazy and, you know, always in a bad mood, always upset and like, dude, what's the matter? Oh, you know what? Life just sucks right now. Me and my wife are going through this thing and I, oh, I just hate it. It's just... It's, I, is that what people see? Or do they see someone who says, you know what, man, my wife just got a, a call from the doctor and it's not looking good. But this is, I know. God's good and he has this thing. You see, we can become a witness to people who don't know Christ through our pain. People can see that we love God by how we trust God. And the way we trust God is by what people see in us. You know, that's why Paul writes in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness or reasonableness, as some, some versions have, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul's making it very clear, and that's when he goes right after that. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but anything, everything, by prayer and supplication, give your request to God. Paul's hitting it right on the nail head. He's like, let people see. Let your, let your faith be evident, not just to yourself, but everybody around you. And the way our faith is evident isn't always, hey, do you know Jesus? Let me tell you the gospel. That is, it may not be your faith. The faith that people can see is when you're going through the storm, it do, again, I like what Paul says, doesn't mean you're not lamenting. It doesn't mean that you're not feeling it. But the idea is, is that you aren't just unleashing on people your anger, your upsetness, your whatever, because you're just, you don't agree with God. You don't like what God is allowing in your life, so I'm just going to let it just be shown. To, no. Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is near. See, Jesus is saying, people are going to know you love God. 
And the way you and I know, the way they're going to know you love God is not by how much scripture you know. The way they're going to know you love God is by how much you trust God. Let them see, let that, let that trust be evident. And the way people know you trust God is not when life is good, gang, but when it's falling apart. When the storm is raging and it's out of control and you're in the middle of that blazing fire. Are you able to declare like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Throw us in, king. We don't care. Because we're not going to denounce our God and he will be with us. So go ahead. Turn up the heat. Throw us in. We're okay. You see, that's faith in God. Loved ones, you may be going through the storm right now. You may be going through that fire. Let your gentleness be evident to everyone. Amen? Loved ones, there we go. That's what Jesus has to tell us in troubling times. I pray that this week and last week was an encouragement to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak the word to you, strengthen your faith. Let him be that paraclete, the reminder, the strengthener, the builder, the encourager. Why don't we stand? Let me close this in a word of prayer.